Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Burgess Hill. This message is by Clive Urquhart. It's great to be together this morning. A uh, big welcome, as you've already had, uh, from across the congregations and other churches, other places that you are watching and being part of the, the meeting, the service this morning. And we want to get into the Word today. Uh, I hope that all of you have had a great Easter weekend, uh, a bit of time to relax and in some way or other, if you can, enjoy the sunshine. Uh, but I hope you've had a great weekend. Now, between now, this kind of time, uh, last weekend, seven days ago, and Pentecost, uh, where we know in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit came, there's 50 days between Easter weekend and Pentecost. And I believe that in these next 50 days, God wants to continue to work in our hearts and lives. And as we've been saying, and I know many churches, many people speaking and teaching uh, around the world have been saying that God is using this time of lockdown as a, as a time of preparation in every one of our hearts and lives. And we're going to look at some of those things later in the message, but he's using this time as a time of preparation uh, to get us ready for what's, what's going to come afterwards, what life is going to be like, and maybe some of the challenges we're going to face going forward, and that life is definitely not going to go back to normal or go back to the way it was. And so what does God want to do in you, in me, in us over the, the 50 day period between Easter weekend where we've celebrated what Jesus accomplished on the cross, what the resurrection means and the new life that, that God then made possible for us to come into, to know Him, to have relationship with Him. What do these next 50 days look like in terms of what God wants to do in us? So that as we come up to Pentecost at the end of May, 31st of May, that Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. What does He want to do during these next few weeks so that there is a fresh release of the Spirit, not not just in us, but a fresh release of the Spirit in our nation. God will always work for the good of those who love Him and those who work walk in His purposes. And God will always work the good. So what does He want to do? How does He want to work? What does He want to release in these next few weeks? So let's, let's just get into the Word this morning and just unpack some stuff and see maybe some of what God wants to do over these next few weeks. We're going to focus, uh, today's kind of like a, a setting up the next few weeks, but over the next few weeks, we're going to look at what did Jesus say? We're going to look at the red letters in the Gospels. What did He say? What did He teach? What did He command? What does that mean for our lives? That's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks because we want to make sure that our lives are, are located on His Word and in His Word so that we know and understand now what is He saying to us? What does that mean? What does that look like? So that we stay, as we've been talking about, anchored, as we stay rooted, as we stay standing and living on the rock of who He is. So we're going to be looking at a lot of the, the red letters, if we can put it that way, in our Bibles. What did Jesus say? What did He teach? What did He command? What does that look like for us? So let's jump into the message this morning. And uh, when I was praying, this was about 10 days ago, God spoke to me uh, about this morning's message. And uh, He said to me, and He started talking to me about pressure and the pressure that the early church was birthed under. It was a time of pressure in different ways. And 
Pressure can be seen as positive, but it can also be seen as negative. And there's a good pressure and there can be challenging or maybe negative pressure. But how many of you know that God loves to use what we see as negative pressure and turn that around and use it to become something positive in our lives. So let's firstly look at the positive pressure that was going on in the, uh, in the early church. Now, when on the day of Pentecost and what began to happen there. Now, in that 50-day period between the resurrection and between Pentecost, there, there's not a lot that is actually talked about, said, written, that we know happened. What we do know at the beginning of Acts, Luke writes here, because Luke is the the writer of Acts, he says in verse three, that Jesus appeared to them, to the disciples, over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now it says 40 days there, because remember at the end of the 40 days when Jesus was resurrected, when Jesus, sorry, ascended into heaven, he then told the, the disciples, around 120 people at the time, he said, go to, the, uh, to that, the upper room, go and wait for the Spirit to come upon you. So there's 10 days there. They didn't know it was going to be 10 days. Jesus did. Uh, but there was 50 days between the resurrection and Pentecost. 40 of them, Jesus appeared to them at different times. But what we do know, it says here uh, that he, he appeared to them over a 40 day period and spoke about the kingdom of God. So over these next few weeks, we want to be looking at uh, what Jesus said, because he talked a lot about the kingdom. And these words that Jesus spoke are going to help us over the next few weeks to understand how do we live a kingdom life? How do we live in the way that God wants us to? And what's that going to mean when he releases his spirit in a fresh way on Pentecost in a few weeks time? So let's have a look at, at what this meant for the guys, the early church. Jesus had had ascended into heaven. He said to them, I want you to uh, go and and wait for the Spirit to come upon you. So they were in a room together, around 120 of them. They were praying together. They were worshipping together. They were spending time together. Then it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 2, and many of us will know these scriptures well, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So this first pressure, a positive pressure, was the Holy Spirit coming with wind and fire that filled filled and consumed these 120 or so believers. And what happened as a result, the Holy Spirit blew them out into the streets of Jerusalem where they were then speaking in all these different languages, in other tongues. And really they were releasing the fire that was in them that they could not contain. So because of what God did in them and amongst them, they spilled out into the streets. They couldn't contain what was going on. And the fire and the wind of what was happening in them was just then had to be released. It was expressed. Now, that was a positive pressure, a positive thing that was taking place. 
Now, at the same time, there was a negative pressure that had already been going on around Jesus's life and ministry to try and contain him, to try and stop him and ultimately put him to the cross, put him on the cross where the religious leaders thought they had dealt with him. But then three days later, he rose again. And even then, 50 days later, when Pentecost, the day the Holy Spirit came upon those early initial believers, they spilled out onto the streets. The fire and the wind of the Spirit in them couldn't be contained. They spilled out. But what we then see in the next few chapters of Acts is how the religious leaders or the religious spirit of the day was trying to shut them down, was trying to stop what God was doing. So let's have a look for a minute at this negative pressure. What did it look like? The early church were out there preaching the gospel. People were giving their lives to Jesus. Many miracles, miraculous signs. Why? Because what was going on in them was uncontainable. The fire, the wind, the life of the Spirit. But then the enemy wanted to stop what was going on. Acts chapter 4 verse 3, Peter and John were arrested for preaching the gospel and they were put in prison. They were then brought to the religious leaders, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and, and, and they basically were questioning them and saying things to them. But in verse 13, it said, they saw the courage and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they took note that they had been with Jesus. One of the marks of this time that I believe God wants to work in our lives is that during this time we are being with Jesus and we're allowing him to be with us. I love the phrase here, they saw their courage and realised that they were unschooled ordinary men. Sometimes in our Christianity we think that we have to be some uh, apostle or prophet or super kind of Christian for God to work in us, through us and, and to impact things. But they'd begun to turn Jerusalem upside down. That was the, the language that was used by the religious leaders of the day. But they said, you are unschooled, ordinary men. Now we are ordinary people. Now we know we have an extraordinary God in our life, but we are ordinary men and women who are being with Jesus. Therefore, we carry the life, the presence, the nature, the character of who He is, the life and the power, the authority of who He is as very ordinary everyday people, but yet we have an extraordinary supernatural God on the inside of us. But this is their response, the religious guys to, to Peter and John. They commanded them, the religious guys said, we're commanding you not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. What was Peter and John's response? Hey guys, we can't help but speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Why? Because what was in them was uncontainable. It was unrestrictable. It couldn't be pushed down. It couldn't be held down. Why? Because they'd been with Jesus. Why? Because they, they wanted to testify. We, we can only speak of what we've seen and what we've heard. So what did they do? They went back out on the streets. They began to preach the gospel again in the temple courts and wherever they went. What happens in chapter five? This pressure came back again. They were arrested, put in prison a second time for preaching the gospel and doing miracles. The religious leaders were upset. They were jealous. Why? 
because the early believers, the early church had something of the reality of God going on in their lives that these religious guys didn't. What happened in verse 19? They were in prison, chapter 5. The angel appeared in the night and basically got them out of prison. What did the angel say? Even though the religious people had said to Peter and John, do not preach in his name, do not do any of the stuff you're doing. The angel said to Peter and John, hey guys, go and stand back in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this life. So they began to do that again. What happened? They were arrested. And what happened? They were brought in front of the religious leaders again. What did they say to Peter and John? We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. What was Peter and John's response? Verse 29, we must obey God rather than man. So the early church was birthed under pressure. Firstly, there was a good pressure, the Holy Spirit coming upon them. And if I put it this way, pressurising them with the life and the power of who God is in them. But then this other pressure rose up to resist them, this religious thing. We know the enemy at the end of the day is behind a religious spirit trying to oppose and stop what was happening. But... The religious leaders couldn't. What was the result of what was going on? The church grew in Jerusalem. It started off on the day of Pentecost with 3,000. Then it grew to 5,000, then to 8,000. So under this pressure, under this resistance, under this pushback, there was growth. There was increase of the church. The Great Commission was underway. What was the Great Commission in Matthew 28? Jesus said to the disciples the day he ascended up to heaven, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore now go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So he said to them, go make disciples of all nations. Up, Up until this point, the gospel had stayed in Jerusalem. The Great Commission had begun, it was underway, but now something was about to happen that was going to send the early church to the nations just as Jesus said it would. If you remember last week's message, if, if you've heard it, the message brought by Dave, our children's director, and Pastor Jonathan, who's our congregation leader in Worthing, they brought a message looking at just as Jesus said it would. Jesus said things and then they happened. And then Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. It stayed in Jerusalem to that point, but now something's going to happen to fulfill that. But not in the way that the believers thought it would. Just bear with me for a few moments if you're wondering where this message is going today. We're going to get to the point of it in a few moments. In the next few chapters of Acts 6, 7 and 8, it describes what takes place when the church is growing, the apostles can't keep up with the growth and everything that was involved with that. And so they said in in what we know as chapter 6 in Acts, They said, we need to appoint some others to take care of some things. So they said to the people, choose seven men from among you who who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. 
So seven men were chosen. Stephen was one of these seven. And it says that Stephen was a man full of grace, full of faith and power. And basically what it says is while he went out distributing food and meeting needs practically, whenever he went to a home, it sounds like he asked if anybody needed healing or anybody needed other needs met. And it says here that great wonders and miraculous signs were done by Stephen. So in the practical going and serving and meeting needs in a practical way, there was a release of power. There was a release of the supernatural as he went with the practical needs. So we see this in chapter six and going into chapter seven. Uh, there was obviously an authority about this guy because of God be working in him and through him. And he, was, he ended up being arrested and then brought before the religious leaders. And they basically were challenging him. He ended up, if you read through this chapter seven, he then preaches to them who Jesus is, the gospel, what's happened. He does a synopsis really of the Old Testament coming into what Jesus did. They didn't like what he said. It says they couldn't stand up to the spirit by which he spoke. The next thing that happened is they stoned him. Then he says in chapter eight, verse one, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria and then ultimately they went out to the nations as a result. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, I don't think any of the early believers thought that that was going to be the the pump priming moment that was really going to send the gospel to the nations. This is when the church really began to grow and the Great Commission really began to be fulfilled. So what did the life of the early church look like? It looked like living under pressure, living under restrictions, challenge, some persecution, being arrested for your faith, being put in prison. For this guy, Stephen, it meant actually losing his life for his faith. Now, this is not the kind of Christianity that we are generally used to in our, in our country, in our culture, in the West. It's, it's not the kind of Christianity that we on one level would want to embrace, but this was the type of Christianity. This was the kind of faith. This is what life looked like for the early church. It was a life that was being lived under pressure. How many of you have seen uh, Lion King? How many of you have seen the new version of Lion King? Uh, we watched it recently. And uh, there's a couple of great characters in that that's called Pumbaa and Timon. And uh, they sing a song that we all probably know and uh, it goes, Akuna Matata, I'm not gonna bless you by singing it to you because it wouldn't be a blessing. Uh, but they sing this song, Akuna Matata. And what does it mean? It means no worries. And, and then the next line is problem-free philosophy. And, uh, and they have this kind of upbeat, you know, akuna matata, there are no worries, we have a problem-free philosophy and all of that kind of thing. Now, often that's how we think about our Christianity. That 
we live a problem-free philosophy, no worries, no worries. Now, in Christ, we know that we can live in a place of rest and peace. And Jesus said himself, don't take care, don't think about tomorrow, don't worry about tomorrow because today has enough cares of its own. It's interesting how Jesus uses the word worries for tomorrow, but he uses the word cares for today. Because we only live in the now, in the, the now moment with God. And, and what does Jesus say? He said, cast all your cares upon me. So when we have challenges, when we have things going on uh, that we might term as worries, God says, look, take that care and cast it upon me so that it doesn't become a worry, so that it doesn't become an anxiety, so that it doesn't become a trouble, so that it doesn't become something that weighs you down, wears you down and causes issues in your life. Now, these guys had this song, Akuna Matata, no worries, problem-free philosophy. Now, often when we think there are challenges or pressures or negativities coming our way, often we can default to what is wrong with me. There must be something, my faith mustn't be right or I must be doing the wrong thing because there's something negative, there's a challenge, there's a problem, there's an issue. And, and sometimes we, we then kind of go inward and say, what is wrong? But actually in the early church 2,000 years ago, they had pressures, they had challenges, they had stuff coming against them. But actually what they did is they, they grew in those moments. They rose in those moments. The reality of their faith came alive in those moments. Why? Because they'd seen and heard and experienced something that was more real to them than the pressures coming from others or from the outside to say, you must stay silent. You must be quiet. You must stop what you are doing. Now, historically, and in our day now, the church thrives and grows under pressure, under restrictions, where there are limitations, where there's persecution. We see in other nations where there isn't a freedom like we have in our nation. Many nations that don't have a democracy, nations that have uh, more of an autocratic system or a regime that's running that state or nation. There isn't the same freedom. But we see that often in those places, that's where the church is really growing and thriving. Why? because things get stripped back to the simplicity, the reality, the basics of what does it really mean to know God? What does it really look like to live as a disciple of Jesus? What does it really mean to live out your faith and communicate that to others? In the words of a well-known worship song, in the pressing, in the crushing, you are making new wine. Now, I think we can read that in two ways. One is we often know that the pressing and the crushing can be the dealings of God in our lives, where we willingly 
come before God and allow Him because He's speaking and working in our lives and because we want to live and walk and be like Him, we, we want the dealings of God. We, we don't mind the pressings and the crushing. Why? Because we want that new wine, the flow of His life to, to be in us and through us. But we also, knew, we also know that pressings and crushings can also be because we have to face challenge and pressures that come from the outside. And sometimes that, if I can use this word, sometimes that even forces us to have to look at our lives or look at what's going on and we have to take stock and we have to look and say, okay, God, where are you in this moment? What are you doing in me? What are you saying? What is going on? Where are you at this moment? In the West, we've, we've enjoyed the freedom of democracy, freedom of movement, religious freedom and expression. We are blessed in this nation uh, that, that we have a democracy, that we have, I know we're in lockdown at the moment, but, but we have freedom of movement, religious freedom. We, we don't have a culture and society run like a regime. But over the last few weeks, many of us, all of us, to a certain degree, have had a very, very small taste of what it is like to live under some restrictions and some limitations. Stay at home. Uh, you're not allowed to gather in groups. You can't have any public meetings or gatherings. No social interaction outside of your household. We've had to queue up to get into supermarkets to buy food and even then there's some social distancing. You've got to stay a certain distance from others. Keep your distance. What's another one? Essential journeys only. There are a number of restrictions, rules, if you like, that have been put in place. Now we know in the current situation, we understand these rules are about staying healthy, protecting the NHS so that we can save lives. That is the, the line that the government has been communicating to all of us and we've been adhering to. But not being in this current situation, if you just had those rules, that would sound more like a regime or an autocratic state that is telling you how you can and can't live your lives. So in one sense, how we've had to live the last few weeks and what it looks like for the next few weeks, in one sense, is outside of our normal paradigm that we are used to living. We're not used to stay at home. We're not used to no social gathering. We're not used to not meeting together. We're not used to these things. And in some ways, there's a little bit of a pressing. And, and I totally appreciate being at home, like many of us are, a lot of the time now is not easy. And that can bring things up in our lives personally. It can bring things up in our marriages. It can bring things up in our families. It can bring tensions up when we're around each other a lot. And, and we, wanna, we wanna deal with those things. We wanna work through those things in a way that brings health and life into our families and marriages, not strife and, and, uh, and negativity. We need to have those conversations if we need to have them. We need to say sorry if we need to say sorry. We need to say, please, would you forgive me if, if you need to ask for forgiveness. We need to make space for one another in a fresh way in our, in our lives. So what was a pressure for the early church that they could not control 
we have some restrictions, maybe some pressures at the moment. The, at the moment, we know are for a short-term fixed period. But in some ways, some of these pressures are forcing us into a situation where we can say, okay, God, what do you want to do in me during this time? I've got a bit more time and space. What do you want to say? What do you want to do? This isn't our normal paradigm. So what are some of the things that God is doing that we know, not just myself, and, but others have been saying, and you've all been talking about yourself, these sort of phrases. God is pressing the reset button in our lives. There's a re-evaluating going on of what is important and focusing, I think, back on relationships, on people, getting us back to what's really important. Or a decluttering from busyness. What's that about? It's about our time, how we spend our time, or we can use another phrase, how do we invest our time? There's another one, a reordering of priorities. What's that? That's about focus. Focus of our lives, time, attention, finance. Maybe there's a stripping back of things. Maybe ask the question, do I really need this or that? Maybe there's a perspective over these last few weeks of the simplicity of life in a different way and how much our lives revolve around the next thing or the next achievement or the next whatever it is. So maybe there's God's doing some stuff in us about relationships, about how we spend or invest time, the focus of our lives, what the direction our money goes in. So over these next few weeks, as we look at the red letters of Jesus, what did he say? What did he teach? What did he command? What does that mean for us in terms of how we live and in our lives? I believe that God wants us to really look at what does it mean to live as a disciple of Jesus in the days that we are in? Because you know when some of these, the, the, the lockdown eases off a bit in a few weeks time and, and there's a, a slow kind of movement back into what we might think is normal everyday life, whatever that might look like. What we don't wanna do is take our foot off the gas and say, oh great, everything's back to normal. I can get back to doing this, I can get back to doing that. I believe, God need, I believe we need to understand the moment that we're in and how God wants to use this moment in our lives to redefine some new normals for each one of us, personally, in our marriages, our families, our homes, new normals that then set new patterns of life, rhythms of life in relation to what Jesus teaches and says and what does it mean to live this kingdom life? What does that really look like? And I believe there's something that God wants to do over the next few weeks that's gonna prepare us for Pentecost. Now, on one level, we're already baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit. We've already had our Pentecost. But I believe God wants to continue to release His Spirit in a fresh way because God wants to work in our nation in a, on a completely different scale than we've seen and known before. We've, God's given us this phrase of an unprecedented time, unprecedented, uh, not just season, but time that we are now in the beginning of and living in. And I believe that God wants to do something very similar to what, what happened with Jeremiah. So in chapter 20, verse nine, in a context where God had called him to prophesy to the nation, to bring God's word to the nation of Israel at the time and much of what Jeremiah had to bring the people didn't like hearing 
Now, I'm not saying that we need to go out and be prophesying doom and gloom and this and that and the other over people's lives. That's not what I was saying and that, because that's not what Jeremiah was saying. Jeremiah was bringing the word of the Lord to people, but in that moment, they didn't want to hear the word of the Lord. So what was Jeremiah saying? What happened here in Jeremiah 20 verse 9? It says, but if you say, he's saying, but if you guys say to me, uh, do not mention him or speak out his name. Sounds similar to what was happening in the early church when they were under pressure from the, the religious leaders of the day. They were saying, do not speak in his name. Do not mention his name and all of that. It was going on in Jeremiah's time. And there's something going on in our time now that wants to push you back, me back, us back as believers, as the church to shut us down and hold us down. I'm not just talking about a virus. But there's a spirit of the age. There's agendas of our time that are having an indirect effect on the church at the moment with pressures, what you believe, what you don't believe, all of that. And I believe we're going to be coming into days sooner than we think because the early church didn't realise what Jesus, that, that there was going to be a, a persecution on the same day that Stephen was stoned that then scattered the church. I believe there's days coming that are going to really determine whether our faith rises to the moment or whether it is sinks in the moment. And what happened with Jeremiah was this. He says then in verse nine, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. What does that mean? In his heart, what does it mean? His heart was consumed. It was burning. It was alive with the word. There was such a reality of the word in him, in his heart. He was consumed by it. And then he uses his descriptions like a fire shut up in my bones. What does that mean? The very core of my being. Even the bones within the structure and the frame of who I am that holds everything together, you know, physically, even to the core of my being, my bones are on fire with what God is saying with His Word. I can't contain it. I can't hold it in. It must come out. You might be thinking, Clive, this is such a weird message this morning. Uh, it's like, what are you talking about? What I'm talking about, what I believe God is saying to us this morning is God wants us ready. He wants us ready. We know that God is good. We know that our lives are in His hands. But at the same time, we don't just preach a gospel that God is good all the time and if something challenges happens, we then fall apart. God is doing this preparation work during this time. We want to make the most of this time because in some ways the world wants to get back to normal, to get all the cogs and the wheels spinning up and again and accelerate the pace of everything and everything's going to speed up, speed up. So we get back to this pace of life and everything's going to start going nuts again and we can't get caught up in the pace of the world. God is pressing a reset button in our lives to determine a new pace in every one of us. That pace needs to be His pace in our lives. How do we get His pace in our lives? Father, 
Would you speak into the very fibre of my being your word, your words, what you're saying? Let me catch your word at this time right now that you are saying to me, to us as the church, as the body of Christ. So that no matter what the state of society, no matter whether people like the gospel or not, the outward pressure is not going to keep my life down, silent and quiet. But actually the inward pressure, the fire of who you are, the fire of your word will continue to burn in me so that that must come out in the way that I live and the way that I speak. The early church preached the gospel with love, with compassion, with grace, with mercy. They didn't preach the gospel in a hard way, telling people, you know, you're this, you're that, you're the other. They came with love, compassion, grace. But they came with power. They came with authority at the same time. Why? Because we read earlier, the religious leaders looked at the Peter and John and said, you're just ordinary guys, but we're going to know you've been with Jesus. There's something about you guys that is different. You might not have everything dotted and everything crossed and you know everything back to front in terms of the Bible. But what, you, what we do see is you've been with Jesus and that we can't shut down. And I believe this is, uh, this is the time we're in now. It's just a, a precursor to years, days and months and years ahead. You think, cry, are you being, you're not being overly positive this morning. You're kind of a little bit putting it out there. We only have to read through the end of Matthew and going into Revelation, some of the challenges that, that are ahead in life. And we want to be ready. We want to be rooted. We want to be standing on the rock of who God is. So let him speak. And when he speaks, spend time meditating on his word. In order for God to speak, you need to give him time and give him space. Give him time and give him space. When he speaks in those moments, begin to meditate on that, mull over that, pray over what he says. And it's like, God, work that in me. I want this to be alive in me, like fire shut up in my bones. That it goes so much to the core of who I am that nothing's going to move me. Nothing's going to shake me. What's God doing? He is fueling the church. He's fueling his church at this moment with his word. He is speaking loud and clear. He's fueling us fueling up the fuel tanks of our lives with his word. And as we respond, what happens? The Holy Spirit sparks that fuel of the word in us. And that word then begins to consume us. You know, you don't have to have loads and loads of words to be consumed. You don't have to have a book that you need to write that, oh, have I heard enough? Sometimes one sentence from God, boom, is enough to ignite, to put fuel on the fire, to fan stuff, to consume us. What, just to finish, the early church, Acts 2, verse 42, three words, really powerful. It says, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. 
And I believe over these next few weeks, over these next, leading up to Pentecost, fresh release of the Spirit, not just for the church, but for the nation, for the nation. This is all about the nation. Why do we want to live like we're talking about today? Because it's for the nation. They devoted themselves. Let's just continue to move forward with God, surrender everything, give Him space and time, let Him speak. Because as I said a couple of weeks ago, I believe that it's time for the saints. When the persecution of the early church took place and they were scattered, it was the saints. Ordinary, unschooled, everyday believers, just like you and me, were sent out. The kingdom advanced all over the place. Churches were planted by many, many believers. The apostles went out and strengthened those churches and helped to strengthen the believers. But there are some people that planted churches before the apostles arrived. Believers were out there. And I believe that God is wanting to bring back discipleship right to the core and the heart of who we are in the days going forward. And living as disciples is gonna be so, so essential. Let's just pray together. Father, I just thank you for your word this morning. Father, I just pray this doesn't come over as a heavy word to anybody. But Father, this word would be an encouragement, but also a challenge at the same time to continue reminding us of what you are already saying and doing, to remind us to continue to walk with you, listen to you, hear what you are saying, and respond to you. Maybe just where you are right now, maybe just say, Father, I want your word to be so at the core and the fiber of my being, like that even my bones are like on fire. Your word would be like into the core of my being. I know you speak into my spirit and that's where you speak but I want my whole being to be consumed with your word so that I'm convinced, I'm standing on you and the rock so that no matter what goes on around, no matter the challenge that we face or whatever might come in months and years ahead, like Jeremiah, your word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. That our lives and our words constantly reveal and release who you are and what you want to do. Father, we praise your name. We exalt your wonderful name. Father, I thank you for your grace to be upon every one of us in our homes, in our lives at this time. We continue to be such an encouragement to others as we're Facebooking, FaceTiming, Zooming, uh, tweeting, emailing, whatever we're doing, that we would, we would be life to those around us. We praise your wonderful name. Father, I just thank you for anybody who's watching this morning who doesn't know you. If you don't know Jesus this morning, you want to take an opportunity to respond to Him. You might think, wow, that was a full-on word or message or talk. It's a reality message. It's very easy to live a surface life. 
be great when everything gets back to normal and I feel safe again and everything just go on. Ultimately, none of us are actually in control of our lives. This virus has shown that, that there's things going on that the world cannot control. Governments, health authorities, scientists, nobody can control it. And it's in these moments that we realise, actually, really, we're not really in control of our lives. We think we are, but we're actually not. And there's one that we want to give the control of our lives, to know the assurance. peace of a relationship with God. That He can be in control of our lives. God is not controlling. It's a two-way relationship, a relationship of love. We willingly surrender our lives to Him and He responds and willingly gives His life to us. And if you want to respond to Him this morning, you can and simply just by surrendering your life to Him. If that's something you want to do today, or you want to do, and you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at info at kingdomfaith.com. We'll get in touch with you. If you want us to call you, give us your phone number and we'll give you a call. We'll talk with you, pray with you, answer any questions you have. We'll send you the right information that's going to help you grow and develop. If you don't know a church near you, we can get you connected with a church near you. If you already know believers, you can get connected into a church with them. But you can simply, even at this moment, just say, Jesus, I want to surrender my life to you. I want to give it to you and I want you to give me your life. I want to begin a relationship with you. If that's where you're at this morning, get in touch with us and we'd love to get in touch with you and help you take that first step in giving your life to Jesus. Father, we thank you. We praise you for your, your goodness in our lives, your protection around us. You continue to lead us in every way going forward this week. Amen. Amen. Be blessed, guys. Have a great day and have a really brilliant week this week. Bless you. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.